This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Sarah Israelson Hartley is a special projects reporter who covers public health issues and families, particularly the parenting of young children and the impact of technology on families. During her 15 years with the Deseret News, she's won awards for her coverage of teens and anxiety, gender-based wage inequalities, technology and children, divorce reform, abortion legislation, addiction and recovery and crime, and the judicial system. Originally from Columbia, Missouri, she lives in Bountiful with her husband, John, and their three rambunctious sons. I'm Tara McCausland. Welcome to Still Rowing. And I want to also welcome Sarah onto the podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Thank you for having me. And I probably should also mention, just for full disclosure, Sarah is my cousin. (laughs) but I've known Sarah for a long time. So thanks, Sarah, for being a great cousin as well. So to start, Sarah, tell me about an experience that served as an anchor for your young testimony. The story that comes to mind first, um, when I think back on memorable moments, I had, you know, some from my young childhood when I could start remembering But I think the one that kind of was really formative for me, I was a freshman at BYU and I was very homesick. Um, As you mentioned, I grew up in Missouri. I'm out here in Utah and I did have extended family here, but my parents and siblings were all back in Missouri. And I loved being at school, but I was feeling a little bit homesick and just a little overwhelmed. And I remember going out onto the balcony in my dorm um, and looking out at the mountains and there are beautiful sunsets And when the sun hits the mountain, it's kind of pink and orange and just, it's gorgeous. And I just remember praying um, to know that Heavenly Father was aware of me, that he saw me there, that I wasn't alone. And I just felt the most incredible feeling of knownness, of being seen, of being acknowledged, of being loved, uh, of being taken care of. And I knew, I knew that God was aware of me and I knew that he had a plan for me that I was supposed to be there, you know, at school. And it wasn't as if I wanted to leave or anything, but just to be reassured that, that he was aware of me. He loved me. He would support me. Um, and that's, that's one of the most powerful moments that I, I go back to, um, as kind of in my younger days, not my childhood days, but in my younger days of just really having that reassurance that God knew who I was and was, was going to take care of me. How, how do we, and maybe this is an unfair question because spiritual things are hard to describe for someone who hasn't, or feels like they have not experienced that feeling known by God. How would you describe what that felt like to you? That is a good question. I don't think we take a lot of time to think about how we would describe that to those who might not recognize or feel like they've felt that. Um, I think for me in that moment, it was a feeling of familiarity, um, just that there was a feeling of, of comfort, of peace. My worries kind of left for the moment, um, 
just an awareness that I had connected with God and that he, he knew me and maybe I'm just repeating what I said earlier, but, um, a feeling that, uh, of, of connection of, of a sense that the thoughts that I had expressed, you know, up, up to God, up to heaven had been heard and that, um, I, I recognize I didn't, I didn't get a specific answer in terms of, you know, what to do. There weren't words with it. There weren't, there wasn't instruction. It was just, you know, the spirit testifying and, you know, in essence, kind of giving me a hug and making me, helping me realize that I wasn't alone. And so, um, I I think if, if we're waiting for moments like that, every time we pray, I don't think that happens. At least it doesn't for me. Every time I pray, I think, God knows maybe when we need those moments more than others. And even in times where we feel like we desperately need that moment, if it doesn't come, that doesn't mean he's not there. Um, we can feel that connection and other little things. But I think in that moment, that was, that was his answer for me was to really remind me of that connection very powerfully in that way. I think you did an excellent job of describing that. And if you as a listener haven't experienced feeling known or seen by God, I know that President Nelson, probably toward the beginning of when he was originally called as a prophet, he invited us as members of the church to ask God how he feels about us in prayer. And I I loved that invitation because I think that oftentimes when we're struggling with questions about um, maybe circumstantial things in our lives, or if we're having difficulties with with some aspect of the church or church history, oftentimes what we need to go back to is just our connection with God and trying to reconnect if if we haven't felt God for a while. And so I appreciate that example, Sarah, because I do believe that God wants each of us to feel seen and known by Him because we are His children. Now, as I already uh, mentioned in your bio, Sarah, you are a journalist and kind of a fun side note because Sarah is my cousin and I've known her since she was just little. Sarah has been a writer for as long as I can remember. And I remember when we were pen pals, when you were living in Missouri and you would send me the greatest little short stories and poems. And I just love that you're a writer. It brings joy to my heart (laughs) that your dreams came to fruition. But as a journalist, you've interviewed people, as you said, on the greatest days and the worst days of their lives. Tell us a bit about that and how your work and the people you've connected with as a result have impacted your worldview and testimony. It's been so fun to be a journalist and to, as you said, you know, get to talk to people in a wide variety of situations. Um, I, I spent a lot of time many years covering the judicial system and going to court, covering crimes. And so I would, you know, show up at house fires or accidents or different scenes and, and witness, you know, a lot of sorrow, a lot of suffering. And I, here I am barging in to someone's horrible moment to ask them questions. Um, and there was one situation that was really poignant. There was a, a family who lost one of their young children he had gotten run over um, by another family member in the driveway and was killed. 
And it was this horribly tragic situation. And there I am, you know, having listened to the police scanner, heard about this, showing up at the scene. And I remember kind of standing off to the edges, just horrified at this assignment and that we had to write about this. And I, I was talking with a neighbor, a neighbor came out and I started talking with a neighbor about this little boy. And I was able to um, tell the story of this little boy and how he was such a bright spot in the neighborhood and how he was so cheerful and fun loving and, and get to describe him as he was and not um, just as this powerful loss and this tragic thing, which obviously was still there, but to also focus on who he really was and, and his spirit and, and the connection that he had with his family and his neighbors. And so I, I kind of see that as my role, um, you know, as a journalist in those particular situations is to remind people of the humanity of those involved in these stories. These aren't just numbers or statistics or names, you know, these are people, these are sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And these are, these are people with lives. And so to be able to be able to share a little bit of their story, just, and, and get to, to feel the love that people have for them kind of in a very small, small way, um, I think kind of shows me how God must feel about all of his children whom he knows perfectly and loves completely. And for me to get to share one little sliver of a person's life, you know, with, with the world in the hopes of sharing their, their triumphs, their trials, their, their sorrows. Um, that's, that's pretty humbling to get to recognize the, I don't know, the divinity within each person. And, and even in situations where it's maybe not as obvious, I did a lot of interviews in jail, um, prison and talking with people who have, you know, made very poor choices and are, are dealing with those consequences, there are still, there's still hope for them. Um, there's still goodness in them. They're, they're going through a painful process, but they are also a child of God. And, and we have things to learn from them, you know, just as they can learn from us. And so I think, you know, in kind of those more dramatic sorts of stories or interviews, it was always humbling to to learn about other people and to learn from them and to hopefully recognize their humanity and their divinity rather than just kind of either brushing them aside or ignoring them or reducing them to a number or a statistic. So I don't know that I always do the best job of, of seeing people as God sees them, but ultimately that's my hope is that I would become better at doing that. I don't know who said this, but the saying goes, you can't hate people up close. And I think you have this really unique opportunity as a journalist to be face-to-face -face with people from all different walks of life and to hear their stories. What for you has that done? And perhaps this is kind of reiterating what you've already said, but when you're up close with someone who perhaps from far away might look icky <laughs> or, you know, just mired by the world when you get up close and you hear their stories what what does that do for you i think it's a really humbling experience because you see you you realize that not all decisions or people aren't where they are because of one decision or or one circumstance that it's kind of this collection of 
choices, a collection of life events, and you recognize maybe a lot of those decisions or those life events or those situations were not their choice or not part of um, their plan, but either situations outside of their control or decisions of other people. And so it's kind of humbling to realize I mean, there's the expression, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And, you know, you talk with people that have an addiction and are in jail because they can't stop using heroin and they're pawning their mother's wedding ring to buy heroin. And you think, oh, that's terrible. How could you ever do that? But then you realize, okay, this is a, a terrible substance that grabs someone. And, you know, while, yes, there maybe have been some bad decisions that led to that, um, there could have been a lot of other situations that were outside their control. Maybe they had parents that were using drugs and they were introduced at a very young age, or maybe they, um, you know, the only friends, the only place they had to, to sleep that night was in a friend's apartment who was also a drug user. So there's just a lot of different factors that as I've interviewed people, I've recognized, you know, it's, it's not so black and white. It's not so I'm going to judge them and put them in this bad category. And I'm somehow in this good category. It's not anything like that. It's, you know, we all make mistakes and my mistakes as of yet have not landed me in jail for which I'm grateful. Um, but I'm just as guilty of, of other problems. You know, maybe it's pride or a judgmental heart, you know, that, that are just as severe in terms of keeping me away from God. They're, they're distancing me from God. So you may, you know, one person may be in jail for shoplifting, but if I'm incredibly prideful and hating someone in my heart or judging or being uncharitable, that's the, for, in God's eyes, that's the same thing. We're both, we're both sinners. We're both flawed. And so just to learn a bit more compassion and to not be so willing or quick to throw people away or to write them off as lost causes or, you know, a product of terrible choices or they should have known better, but to recognize that it's a little bit more nuanced than we might think sometimes. Because you've had a chance to mix with people from a wide variety of backgrounds and faith traditions, perhaps you can tell me about someone uh, that you admire outside of our faith and how their example has strengthened you in your discipleship of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. I have many friends that are not of our faith and, and two in particular come to mind. Um, my best friend growing up, um, is a, is a Christian and she is the most well-versed Bible scholar you could ever meet. And she is so, so devout in her faith. Um, they came out to visit us in Utah and kind of, we went down to Southern Utah and explored, um, some of the beautiful areas down there. And she made sure to stay in a, in a town that had a congregation that she, that their family could worship with on Sunday. And so we went with them that morning and went to their service and it was, it was beautiful to be with them. And I, I was kind of almost chastised in my heart because I thought, well, I didn't plan ahead and find a ward. I mean, we sure surely could have. And I just kind of thought, well, we'll, you know, say, we'll sing some hymns, we'll say a prayer and, you know, we'll just, we're on vacation. We might miss church. And she made it a point to, to find a congregation states away that she could be sure and attend. And so I was humbled and grateful by that example that she set for me. And another friend that comes to mind uh, is a colleague of mine who is a devout Christian um, of another uh, denominate, another Christian denomination. And she 
in in her daily life, it is so obvious that God is her friend, and that she that her life is uh, powered by her reliance on the Savior. Um, she has you know scriptures kind of by her computer, nothing ostentatious or outlandish. You know, little post-it notes with a scripture. Um, I, there was a kind of a challenge that I was going through. And as we were talking about it in that moment, she said, let's just say a prayer. And so we, you know, prayed right there in that moment. And just faith is such a vital daily part of her, um, her everyday actions. And it was just, I mean, obviously that's the goal for me and for us, I think in the church to have that kind of faith that it, it motivates us and comes out in every moment. But I after watching her, I sometimes think I don't do a very good job of it, and I need to be more determined to to live my faith every moment and to let it seep through and echo in in everything that I do, not just when I have you know my prayers during the day or my scripture study, but that it's just part of me all the time. And so I've really appreciated her example with that. Well, thank you for sharing about those individuals in your life as well as just the the impact that those that you've interviewed in all of these different situations, the impact that they've had on you as well. Because I do believe that we can learn from every person that we come in contact with. And I believe that as we get closer to people face to face and and hear their stories, and we have the opportunity to see the goodness and the light in all of God's children if we will look for it. So thank you for sharing those examples. Now, switching gears a bit, many prophets have foretold the the wonderful yet difficult events that will occur before Christ's second coming. We are certainly seeing the fulfillment of many of those prophecies, namely, you know, earthquakes in diverse places, uh, wars and rumors of wars, men's hearts failing them, and currently we're in a plague, a pandemic. So I admit sometimes I avoid reading the news because it's discouraging. So for you, having a front row seat to all the bad news happening in the world, which could have a negative emotional toll, I was curious, what is something that you've learned recently in your work as a journalist that's actually helped you on your faith journey? So I, I just wrote a story about patience during a pandemic, and I feel like with a lot of my stories, I, I do get help from Heavenly Father as he um, encourages me and reminds me that I haven't forgotten how to write entirely. But this one particularly felt like I was guided and led during the interview process and during the writing process. Um, and so the story was about, again, maintaining patience during a pandemic. And it highlighted the example and the, the experience of a Navy fighter pilot named James Stockdale. And James Stockdale was shot down over Vietnam and taken captive and spent nearly seven years in a prisoner of war camp. And while there, he was the, rank, the highest ranking American officer uh, he developed a communication system that the prisoners could talk with each other by knocking on the walls. He did push-ups uh, while in these leg shackles. He endured isolation for significant periods of time and repeated episodes of torture. And as, as he was released after that, that seven years, he described how he was able to make it through. Um, and he said, and this is in a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins, and he said, this is a very important lesson. You must never lose faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose. 
with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And so what Stockdale was saying is that you have to be willing to look at your life and see what you're going through, trusting that you will make it out in the end, but not insisting that it happen in a time frame that you demand. Because he explained that of his colleagues, there were some that did not make it out alive, that they died while in the camp. And um, in this conversation with, with Jim Collins in this book, he said that the people that did not make it out were the optimists. And I quote, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go and then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. For Stockdale, he emphasized that it wasn't about just having faith for a certain amount of time or just having faith as long as I think I could have faith, that it was really about being able to maintain patience for as long as the situation would demand. And he was able to think this way because he had studied philosophy earlier in his life. And there was a, an ancient philosopher named Epictetus who, who taught, and this, is, this became the foundations of Stoicism, a, a branch of philosophy. And Epictetus taught that there are two types of situations and a, a Stoic has kind of, in essence, two folders in their mind. One folder is for things that they can control, things are, that are within their control, within their power. And the second folder contains all the things that are outside of their control. And so Stockdale, um, in a later speech, described that when he was, when he had ejected out of his burning plane and was floating down, he recognized that he was going to be entering as he called it, the world of Epictetus, where there would be significant things that were outside of his control. He would not even be in control of his own body as he would be you know, shackled and, and tortured and made to endure all these terrible things. But how he responded to that and how he dealt with that, his emotions, his attitude, his, his feelings and thoughts, those were all within his control. And that's all he could focus on was what he could control. And so, I mean, the parallels to today are just striking and very powerful because we have no idea how long this pandemic is going to last. We have no idea what um, sorts of restrictions are going to be required of us, you know, for the foreseeable future. And so if we, um, you know, as individuals or collective communities or a, a country start by saying, you know, we're, we're going to be done by June or we're going to be done by September and we start to impose deadlines or arbitrary um, timelines, that's not really patience. That's saying, I can only be patient for X number of days, and then it's then it's just impossible that I can't do it. We have to recognize that this is something that's in that out of our control folder, and that the only thing in our control is our ability to decide how we will think, how we will behave, how we will feel, that's within our control and that's what we can worry about. And if we, if we worry about other things, that's what drives us crazy. And that's what makes us panic and feel anxious and worried. But if we can focus on, okay, today I'm going to get up and I'm going to, you know, exercise how I can, I'm going to choose to eat well, I'm going to choose to be pleasant and kind. And, you know, if I'm by myself, I'm going to choose to better myself by reading or learning something new. And if I've got a family, I'm going to choose to be patient and um, try to be present with them and give them the best part of me 
doesn't mean any of this is easy. <laughs> doesn't mean any of this is um, without challenges or that it will come on the first try, but it it makes it a lot more manageable when we recognize that things are very difficult. They will be very difficult for a while. And I can either worry about that and stress about that obsessively and make myself sick, or I can focus on the things that I can control and I can I can work on that and, and I can pray for help with that. I can pray that Heavenly Father will give me strength to do those things that I can control um, and trust that the rest is up to God and that his plan is perfect. And so this, this whole process of writing this, of exploring this has really helped me calm down and helped me feel more at ease with, with this whole situation, which again is, it feels wildly out of our control because it is. And so it's helped me trust God more, give him those things that I can't control and, and ask for help from him for the things that I can control. So for my listeners who are interested in reading this fantastic article, I will put a link in the show notes. James Stockdale is a rock star. So much that we can learn from his experience. Now, as a journalist, you are in the fact-finding business, and your aim is to track down the truth so you can understand and write the facts about a given issue or situation. What have you learned about the process of acquiring truth as a journalist? And how is that process different or similar to acquiring spiritual truth? As a journalist, I always want to track down as many people as I can to get their take on the, the situation or the question or the, the issue at hand. Um, there's, as one boss told me, you can always make one more phone call. Like one more phone call never hurts. There's always someone else whose opinion or whose expertise you could um, add to the article or whose insights you could rely on. With that said, there's always another point of view. There's always someone else who will see the situation differently. I covered a lot of, of court hearings and there's obviously two sides to that, but there's also more than two sides. There can be four or five or six or seven, because you have different people who see the situation or the world differently. And so you have to be aware that truth in the world, sometimes we we don't know the full truth. There, there may be cases where the jury comes to a verdict based on the best information they had, and they return that verdict, and they worked really hard, and that's that is the truth as they found it. Um, sometimes it's more clear than others. And, and we are grateful for the truth that we can find. But I think the difference between truth in the world and then truth with a capital T that comes from God is that we know that God's truth is truth. And we can all talk about it from a variety of angles. And that's maybe how we think about it or how we perceive it. But God's truth is truth. And so I think um, for me, I'm, I guess maybe the process might be a little bit similar. We're trying to seek out, I'm trying to seek out truth, get all this dif different information, put it into a story that can help people. But there will always be something more. There will always be another piece of data or another study that I didn't read or another expert that I didn't find. I will never be able to write the perfect 100% complete everything is there story. 
but the beautiful thing is that God has all truth. He has all wisdom and he is trying to teach us that line upon line and little bit upon little bit. And so if we are able to receive that and able to get all of these different facets that he's trying to teach us, it makes our understanding brighter. And then we are able to see more clearly. And so I think there are definitely similar processes, but I think ultimately we can have a lot more confidence in the revelations from God, in the promptings of the spirit, um, in personal revelation, because that is going to be, it's coming from a perfect source. Whereas I am relying on imperfect humans who are doing their best to, to tell me information or to share study findings. That's good information, but God is the best information. I think one of the enormous challenges that we face in this day and age is that we just have a constant just avalanche of information coming at us. And it can be very hard to, to sort through all that information. As members of the church, we, we are after truth. And, and I believe that there is truth woven through every religion and tradition, things that we can learn from, from people of all different uh, backgrounds. But again, there's just so much information available at our fingertips all the time that it can be very overwhelming to know what is truth and how we can really understand what's a good source versus a bad source or the intent behind information that we might find online. And so I'm curious from your perspective as a journalist, what have you learned about finding credible sources to help you find truth and how has that translated over into your faith journey as you are trying to continue to acquire spiritual truth and understanding? So I have two thoughts, but the first thought is that um, we have to be facing the right way. And what I mean by that is um, my husband and I were at a, I think it was an Institute class a while ago, and the instructor was talking about how we can learn anything and everything, and we don't need to be afraid of any sort of information as long as we're facing the right way. And so if we are facing the Savior and we're focused on Him and learning from Him and keeping His commandments and doing what He's asked of us, then if He is our focus, then anything can come up from behind. We can handle any sort of wave of information or any sort of subject or topic because we're centered on Him and we're focused on Him. Nothing is should be faith-shaking or shattering because, as you said earlier, our relationship with Him is secure. And so I think as we're seeking for information, um, if we if we approach it that way of, of making sure that Christ and our relationship with him and our Heavenly Father is solid, then everything goes through that lens. And, and we, we look at information and we we kind of hold it up against this. Does this connect with what I already know to be true? Does this resonate? Is the spirit able to bear witness that this is correct that this is true and we we wait for that just the ability for the spirit to, to teach us and i think that goes to the second point about being meek and humble because there are plenty of things that we don't know and there's plenty of things that we will learn once and then we will learn something later down the road that contradicts that in terms of parenting or nutrition there are lots of studies that come out that contradict 
what we thought we knew 10 or 15 years ago. You know, eggs weren't good for us and then they were, and then only the egg whites. And then, you know, we wanted to have low fat food, but then we discovered that that was not good, that sugar is really the enemy. And so there's, there's different things in the world that as we gain more knowledge, we have to adjust what we held to as truth, kind of with this lowercase t. And so if we are humble and we're meek and we're willing to admit that, you know, I don't know everything. And, you know, what I even thought a few weeks ago or months ago or years ago, there's an update to that. And there's, we know more now. And what we know is a little bit different than what I thought I knew. And if we're able to adjust and to not have pride in our hearts, then it's easier to learn and to progress because we're able to appreciate and recognize the truth when it comes as opposed to being so glued to our old ideas that we're unable to, to switch and to pivot. And, and I'm not talking about flip-flopping or about being wishy-washy, but about being mentally flexible. And for anyone that has kids in grade school, maybe you've heard the term, the growth mindset of, of having this mindset in which you are prepared to grow and adjust and change and recognize that you don't know everything yet, but you're working on it. And so I think there is a ton of information out there. If we, if we keep our focus on the Savior, if we filter everything through the lens of the gospel and what we understand and our faith that even if we don't understand, that that's still okay too. And then if we're, we're willing to be flexible and to recognize that things may change and to be okay with that and, and to recognize that that truth especially in the world, we're still learning, things are changing, things are growing, and to be flexible with that, and to admit maybe when we've been wrong, and when we've had a viewpoint that's incorrect, or that was not based on the truth, or that was based more on emotions, and we've had to adjust for that. Well, I really appreciate your feedback on that, Sarah. I I agree that as we are filtering everything through the gospel lens, and being humble and and flexible, recognizing that we don't comprehend all things yet, then we might save ourselves um, from slipping into a faith crisis, which is a reality for many people now because of this this information age that we are living in. So that might be a good segue into this next question, Sarah. Um, but what one gospel principle has had the most positive impact on your life and relationship with God and his children. I think this ties in with um, what I mentioned a little bit earlier about understanding the the divinity of everyone and recognizing our own um, flaws and weaknesses and just understanding the grace of God and really what that means for us. Um, I don't think I understood it really well as a child and as a young adult, um, I'm kind of a list maker by nature, kind of efficiency oriented. I really like to get things done. And I think I got caught up in just going through motions and and doing the gospel and, you know, doing all of these things. Um, not that I ever think I cognitively thought I was earning my way to heaven, but I think subconsciously that's how I was behaving. That if I did all of these things and I did them well enough, that, that I would, of course, God would let me in because look, I've done all these things and I, um, I, I did them as well as I could have. And I think that 
keeping up with that mindset and that attitude is exhausting because as anyone who makes lists knows, they never end. There's always another list we could make. There's always another day with tasks that need to be done. And if I'm relying on my own goodness or my own actions to get me somewhere in terms of the eternal sense, I will never get there. I will never be good enough. I will never be efficient enough to get there. And so truly embracing the idea that Jesus Christ died for my sins, for my weaknesses, for my flaws, and he loves me enough that he did that so that I could accept him, welcome him into my heart, and then for the rest of my life, spend all of my energy trying to thank him by keeping his commandments and serving others. And that it's it's not anything that I've done of my own goodness or my own power, but it's it's all about him. And and when I recognize that, then it goes back to my earlier comments that the people in jail or the people in prison or the drug addicts or the homeless people or anyone that we might mentally think, oh, I've I'm doing so much better than they are, or I've got a leg up. No, no, no. We are all on the same page. Um, and it's like King Benjamin told the people, are we not all beggars? We all depend on God for everything that we are. Um, and so recognizing that takes away so much anxiety and it, it's so freeing to recognize our brokenness because Christ died for our brokenness so that he could mend us. And and truly embracing that doesn't mean that I stop working and that I somehow rest on that idea of grace. If anything, it motivates me to, to do what I do with more heart and with the right intent that I'm, I'm working and doing these things, not so I can check off a list, but because I am so grateful and because my soul wants to thank him for this and that when I serve others, it's so I can share with them the joy I feel and help them feel that joy. And so I think understanding that is, has been the most freeing and I'm still working to understand it. It's a process, but starting to, to grasp that a little bit more has been so freeing and enables me to going back to an earlier answer to focus on what I can control and what I can control is my attitude uh, my gratefulness, my desire to serve, um, how I think about other people, how I talk about myself or other people, and recognizing that God has handled everything else um, and and that I, I couldn't have done that. There's no way I could have done that. And so as, as I, you know, wear out my life in service to him, that's just as a way to say thank you for what he's already done for me. And so I think that, like I said, I don't understand it fully yet, but just just glimpsing that and grasping that has been one of the most freeing, empowering principles that I've that I've ever studied. That's so good, Sarah. I I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Brad Wilcox's famous talk on grace, but he said we are not here earning heaven; we are learning heaven when we recognize that. As just as you said, we're, we're, we, we do what we are asked to do. We are obedient to show gratitude for what Christ has done for us because he's already paid the price. We don't have to keep checking off our lists. We just have to keep trying and 
and he will welcome all of us who want to be with him with open arms if we'll if we'll just keep trying so thank you so much sarah well as my final question why are you still rowing and choosing faith in the restored church of jesus christ i think the answer to this question goes back to that verse in the New Testament where the Savior asks his disciples, he's asking Peter if he's he's taught the people some doctrine and some people have gone away saying it's too hard. And so he he asked Peter, he says, Will you know, will you also go away? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know, as if to say, There's nobody else out there, really. There's no competition. There's no there's nothing else that would bring us the peace or the joy that we felt being here with you and and listening to your teaching and seeing the miracles and feeling the presence of the spirit. And, and so I think that's, that's how I feel. I, um, the church, the church is, is a vehicle to teach us. It's a scaffolding and it's, it's run by imperfect people. And we will have leaders that, um, in our wards or stakes that maybe make mistakes, that maybe say something that could potentially offend us. We will have neighbors that maybe are well-meaning, but awkward, or there are always situations that arise that we could take offense or that we could think, oh, if the church is true, why did this happen? Or why did that happen? And ultimately, my testimony, I, I believe the church to be true. I believe the church is restored. I believe in the Book of Mormon completely. But ultimately, my faith is in Jesus Christ. And my testimony is in him. Is It's in his resurrection. It's in his atoning sacrifice. And to, to walk away from that, where, where else would I go? Where, where else would bring me any sort of peace or hope? Um, there's nothing else that could offer me any sort of strength or support, especially in times like this, where there's so much that I don't control so much that I have questions about, um, being able to trust in the Lord and, and cast my burden on him is incredibly powerful. And I I can't imagine walking away from that. And I can't imagine trying to, to do it on my own. Um, and because of that connection that I feel and that love I feel for him, I want to do what he's asked. And he's asked me to participate in his church and to serve others and to love each other in all our imperfect wonder. And so that's what I'll do. And it, uh, it may not always be awesome. I'm sure I'll offend some people or I've already offended some people in my service and my attempts to learn. Um, but we're all learning together. So that's, I, I keep rowing because I love him and because he asked me to. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's honestly been a treat to have this conversation with you. We, we ought to you know, chat on the phone every once in a while. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a lot from you today. But thank you again for sharing your experience and your testimony. And thank you for sharing your your gift of writing with the world. You are blessing people through that means as well. So keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. 
we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.